Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Hey guys, it's Perry here to let you know that the hit podcast based on the Emmy-nominated A&E series Cold Case Files is back with new episodes on Podcast One. Listen to powerful stories of crimes almost forgotten by the passage of time with interviews of the people involved as investigators shine a new light on these cases and bring those responsible to justice. Download new episodes of Cold Case Files every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to The Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Hello and happy Monday, everyone. Today, we're doing our box office recap where Quentin Tarantino posted his biggest opening weekend of his career. Then on top of that, we've got an It Chapter 2 story for you. And this one's kind of fascinating because Andy Muschietti recently spoke to the movie's runtime and it is 
way longer than I ever expected it would be. Guys, I'm Perry Nimroff. I'm back at the table, and I'm so happy about it. But not only am I back, but so is Haley Fouch, who hasn't been here for way too long. A busy, in-demand lady. I'm so happy to see you here again. And Roka, as always. Hello. Thank you so much for kind of keeping everything afloat while I was gone. It was a lot of fun. I had a great time. I loved talking with the fans and answering the questions. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a lot of fun working with Adam Smith over there, too. Of course. Yeah. We also have a couple of other shout-outs we have to give right now because the one and only Thad Williams had a birthday yesterday. So a big happy birthday to Thad. And there's another birthday boy in the room right now. Everybody, Dorian Parks. Dorian, how old are you today? Don't say 39. Don't say, okay, 24. 24. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday. Dorian. Oh Enjoy, God. celebrate. You better celebrate. I My see jeans you there. are older than you. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys, let's jump into the first story of the day, which of course is our weekend box office. Topping the charts this weekend is The Lion King. That movie wound up making another $76.6 million. What you're seeing on the screen right now are the estimates. The actuals came in just before we went live. That is Lion King. Number two went to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which made $41.1 million. Then Spider-Man Far From Home took another $12.6 million in the number three spot. Toy Story 4 came in at number four with another $10.5 million. And then finally, we have Crawl rounding out the top five with $4.1 million. Haley, we got to start with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because that one is now the biggest opening weekend of Tarantino's career. And I read tons of box office reports going into the weekend. I fell on the side of predicting that it would achieve that honor. But I saw so many out there thinking it was going to come in closer to $30 million. So which side of that divide did you fall on? I was on your side. Yes. I, it has, like, he always has these incredible ensembles, mm. but I think this is his starriest ensemble in terms of the three leads are all very popular, very big movie stars. And it's also, we're on the 50th anniversary of Sharon Tate's murder, so that's a very buzzy topic right now. We're also approaching, you know, this is, in theory, his second-to-last film, so each one has a little more hype around it than the last mm-hmm. because of that. So mm. I, I thought this would... Absolutely. When it was tracking, like it might be his biggest. It's going to be his biggest. The ensemble, just the Hollywood vibe that the Mm. film is kind of celebrating. I think all of that combined with everything you just said basically propelled it to that number one spot. For his opening weekends, yes. at least. And Inglorious Bastards, is it is my favorite Tarantino movie. Mm. I have watched that movie too many times. So as much as I was rooting for that one to still maintain the honor, <laughs> I'm kind of happy to see this one bring up that number a little more. So I think I won either way. You always like to see uh, an original bold film yes. do well at the box office. Absolutely. I think you can't discount the studio. It's his first studio release. So mm. like having a studio like this, like Sony behind it, the marketing campaign... Everything behind it also might have contributed to the numbers as well and also attracting these level of stars to his picture as well. So that's something to be explored and taken a look at as it goes forward with Tarantino Pictures. If he maintains this relationship with Sony or wherever, uh, I wonder if his box office will now start to go on the higher ascent than it was because I don't believe he's going to be done at 10. Uh, So I wonder if this starts to become what we expect his films to do on opening weekend. Do you guys have any predictions for what might happen weekend two? We always talk about it big opening weekend yeah it's great it's mm. important but you want to see a movie have legs it's got to be cinema score we have Hobbs and Shaw opening up right. do you see this one finding itself hitting a big drop or is it going to chug along throughout the rest of the summer 
I could see it hanging on for a while. I think it's going to be a Buzzy Awards contender. There's the story that came out, you know, this morning. I think that the the basically the Oscar screening had to turn away a bunch of people because hmm. it was mm. the thousand theaters, thousand seat theater was completely full. Wow. Um, so that's something that people like to get interested in. I also think it's like. We haven't seen this much of a, in my opinion, a star power turn from bad Brad Pitt for quite a while, mm. and people love Brad Pitt, and that's an exciting thing to see. But it's also become a really hot point of conversation yes. right now, yeah. which yep. I think will, for at least the second weekend, fuel a lot of curiosity. I could not agree more with that. Also, it's one of those movies that when I walked away from it, it was a lot. It's a long two-hour, 45-minute yes, movie. But the more I was away from my initial viewing and the more I thought about it, the more I appreciate it. And whenever that happens, that makes me want to go back again. Yeah. So a second viewing will likely be in my future. Yeah, I wonder with the cinema score going down the way it did or going, coming in at a B rather than the A minus that was before, mm-hmm. you wonder, okay, is this going to affect it? Plus, yes, you talk about the hot point. I think some people, controversy, too, didn't like that ending. And I've seen a number of articles about it. So maybe those people would normally go back to see a Tarantino movie on the second week and won't. So I'm curious to see how this plays out, if this will be a, a large drop or if this will be kind of a middling drop. But I don't sense the same kind of buzz about this Tarantino film as I've sensed on other films. Like in a different way, you sense the controversy, but the buzz, the desire, you got to go see this one. I don't see a lot of people doing that online. So. Oh, that's a, no, that's we'll a fair point. I think the, the fact that it's such a big conversation piece is what's going to keep my next prediction from not being that big of a drop. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to see this thing tank. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. Okay. Speaking of very minimal drops at the box office, Roka, I know you want to plug another movie that's yeah. very close to my heart right now. I know it's crazy for me to start looking at these smaller films like yesterday, but now Crawl itself. Crawl's at $45 million worldwide quietly. All these people People love this film. They felt that, you know, not screening it for the critics was such a massive mistake from the studio. But now look at this little engine that could. And this is the way it's supposed to go. A film by word of mouth. This is what we're going to. All these people complaining about all the studios doing these big pictures and reboots and remakes and franchises. Blah, blah, blah. What's going to defeat it? It's word of mouth. You have the power as a movie going audience. And you see this now happening more and more with these smaller films. Sadly, it didn't happen with Booksmart. But with Crawl, with Yesterday, this is starting to happen and I wonder how Blinded by the Light is going to do mm-hmm. when it comes out in the next few weeks. Is this going to go and sail in because of yesterday and other smaller pictures kind of you know elevating it? Or is it going to sink like uh, Booksmart, unfortunately, did? We'll see. But this, I like what's happening with Crawl. I like that people are going and remembering that summer is a good time to also get yourself scared the hell out of by alligators or whatever in the water. That's great. And hopefully... This kind of puts a little uh, buzz behind Kai Scudelario's name as well for other things. So to me, personally, this excites me. I love it. It was a fun time at the movies. I wouldn't mind hearing that. Uh, seriously, though, a 33.4% weekend to dip for yeah. a horror movie. Very, very nice. And I'm just happy to see that word of mouth seems to have done something for this. Because it's yeah. very easy for a movie like that to have its opening weekend profits slashed in half. We can't move on without talking about The Lion King. Mm. So that movie wound up dropping way more than what I expected. And it still made a nice... I mean, you can't look at $76.6 million and say that's not enough for weekend two. But a 60% drop is very big, especially when you compare it to the other Disney reimaginings. Mm. I do believe if you compare it to the others, that is the biggest weekend to drop. And originally, I was looking at something like Beauty and the Beast and thinking it was going to hang on that much. Mm. It didn't. So 
Do you guys think this is a sign of what's to come? Is it going to keep getting its profits slashed to that extent? Yeah, I, I think so. I've been saying this since it since we saw the screening was. It'll get a big opening weekend. I didn't anticipate to get it to a billion this quickly. That's incredible. But I felt like the word of mouth of people seeing this film and thinking that it's just a rehash of the animated film, shot for shot for the a majority of that film, almost 95% of that film is a shot for shot remake. You're, I don't think that's going to make people want to go back and see it over and over again. So yes, I, I'm not surprised by the drop. I think the drop will be severe. And I've been saying it's going to be the legs that proves whether this film was successful, not necessarily the opening weekend. So I, I think it's going to keep dropping i mean yes i agree but i also think it's hard to say it's not successful already Hmm. being that it has hit a billion and Mm. disney close enough at this point yeah Yeah. i mean you get a billion he gets a billion they get a billion disney gets a billion yeah Yeah. (laughs) I, i mean it's 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 not I think we're seeing an interesting thing that mm-hmm. people want these movies in idea, but then they go and they maybe aren't enjoying them as much as they hoped they would. Yeah. I certainly haven't enjoyed the last few remakes as much as I hoped I would. The surprise one that I liked the most this year was actually Dumbo, which nobody liked. And mm. It's. Um, I think that it's an interesting sign for Disney's live action remakes, but... If they can come out with one that's just a home run across the board, then that will sort of reinvigorate the brand again. And again, it's a success. Mm. It's hard to sure. say that like they're they're like, damn, we shouldn't have made the Lion King, mm. but maybe not a success to the point that they had hoped it would be. Do you, do you think it's us? Like the way we feel about the film, the general public's like, we don't care. We're just going to see the Lion King and making that billion dollars. And you can complain about it being shot for shot. We're still going to go see it multiple times and take our kids to see it multiple times because there has to be a reason this thing got to a billion that quickly not not necessarily because like yes like we and everybody out there watching this Mm. we're kind of steeped into the entertainment industry all the time and we know we know every single thing that disney is cooking up from now and into the next few years in the future but i don't know like just being home last week i got to speak to a lot of friends and family and i've heard so many different reactions Mm. from you know some folks out there who who say to me yeah my kids have the original animated movie i'm not going to spend 22 dollars just to take one kid to get popcorn and soda and everything to see the movie then i had someone else have this like incredible experience with the movie where she's kind of in the same boat as as i am where i grew up loving this story so so much and just you know like the majesty and awe and just how incredible it was to see that story told on the big screen with photo real Mm -hmm. image like it blew my mind and it it had the same effect on her so i think that with these disney reimaginings it it basically is in the same boat of problems as the continuation of most franchises out there where, you know, the bar can only go up and up and up. And I feel like the more it continues, the more difficult it is to to appease everybody. Like the second you shackle yourself to an existing franchise or a movie that your movie is based on, you, you're already left with a set of expectations. And it just comes very it becomes very hard to keep meeting those. It's I mean, Yes, I think that it's hard to say because they have like a million projects in development Mm. right now, right? But in general, at least the ones we got this year felt more that they were beholden to sort of a very strict remake format more than a reimagining, as you say. Whereas something, you know, I a lot of people, again, maybe I just have terrible taste in Disney live action. Mm -hmm. I quite like Maleficent. And that's something more interesting and new to do with it. And I Mm -hmm. I wonder if people are going to burn out on the straight up remake approach. That's an interesting thought. 
I'm tr- I'm just yeah. comparing the ones that speak to you more yeah. compared compared to me. And I, I don't know, maybe <laughs> just like the two of us sitting here are a representation of right. like the wide movie going public and how it's kind of split. I'm just chopped liver, I guess. Yeah, that you well, are. Mulan is going to be an <laughs> interesting. Much. Mulan is going to be an interesting segment. To, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know, trial balloon to see because this is one that is what people have been clamoring for, which is a change from the original film. A very a lot of changes being made from the original film. No, the, the songs are being removed. Basically, yes. it'll be a score. The I think the love interest is being removed. So this is going to be a good test for Disney wanting to change course a little bit on these remakes and take more chances with them because Aladdin made changes. Lion King really didn't that much. So, but both those films made a billion dollars. So. Aladdin's changes were very small, though. I mean. Oh. I mean Okay. Yeah. I don't think so. You I don't? Oh, no, I think there were a lot of big changes in Aladdin that really? from the. And I'm a massive fan of that animated film. So for I, me, that was way more changes than, than Favreau did with Lion oh, King. More, but I still sure. think it's very close to a straight up remake. Well, mm, okay. Minus the, minus the changes they made to no, Jasmine. Yeah, huh? I mean, that, minus the changes they made to Jasmine's yeah. arc. I mean, I think that was the biggest difference for me between the original animated movie and what we got. Mm. I'm very curious, though, now. Yeah. If you had to pick your time, Top uh, Disney remake and your least favorite. What would they be? Jungle Book number one. Okay, that, that is just fantastic. And it's sad. I'm sorry to say, for Haley, a, a Dumbo is certainly my worst. I hated really? it to pieces. I hated it. Okay. I was so mad because I love that original. And then what? Like Tim had me for the first 30, 45 minutes, and then just I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on now. So yeah, basically. <laughs> I think I'm um, I'm Jungle Book, and then again, I'm sorry, Haley. <laughs> not Dumbo. Not Dumbo. It's Maleficent. That's oh, Maleficent fair. really. Put me off. Yeah. Uh, mine are, it's my favorite is Cinderella, yes. bar none. It's oh, the best. Yeah. There's, it's up there for me. You guys are just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then my least are, I, I don't, it's, it might be, well, are we counting the sequels? I, I was going to say, are we counting the two Alice in Wonderland yeah, movies? Oh, those are the worst. No, Alice I'm not in Wonderland those at all. 2 is by far the worst. I mean, That's fair. That's absolutely um, fair. But we, if, we if we're not counting sequels, then Alice in Wonderland won. Okay. Guys, let's toss that to you. Put it in the chat. Maybe Dorian will update us. What are your favorite and least favorite of all these Disney reimaginings, remakes, whatever you want to call them? We are very curious to know your thoughts as well. Now, we have to tell you about some content coming to the channel, like a little show called Heroes. Check out this promo. Hi, I'm Amy Dallin, one of the hosts of Collider Heroes. And starting right now, you can catch our show at a new time and format. We're coming at you Tuesday nights with a new shorter Collider Heroes and a longer Collider Heroes podcast where Koi and I are going to talk your ears off. You already know that's coming. So make sure to go to YouTube, subscribe, and find us on the Collider Heroes podcast feed for all of that sweaty goodness. In addition to Collider Heroes, you also have a brand new episode of Rula 2 coming your way today after Movie Talk, actually. And what they're doing on that show is they're taking your live calls live at 5 p.m. PT. You go, you check it out, watch that live video, and you'll see the number to call in right on the screen. So have some fun with the two marks. All right. Moving on to story number two, we are going into the horror genre with this one. During an interview with Digital Spy, IT Chapter 2 director Andy Muschietti confirmed that the film is currently coming in at two hours and 45 minutes, a half hour longer than the 2017 film. His specific quote, nobody who's seen the movie has had any complaint. So, okay. I am of the mind that, like, the more Pennywise, the better, especially after seeing the first It movie. But, mm. I mean, is is that really true? Does this sound kind of ridiculous for another It movie? Well, for me, I'm excited by this because 
The book is so massive. Yeah. And it, this, this it was transcendent as a horror film, the first installment, the first chapter for me. It was not just horror or the standard jump scares. There was so much more to it. And I enjoy that. I know, here we go, these two. <laughs> these two. I see the witching I hour. I never generalize about horror. I, I wouldn't do I, such I, a thing. There, I have my first There's more to it than you would find in most horror movies, in my uh. opinion. In my opinion, it feels more like a act, like they're trying to create something of a classic horror film within that to be revered to possibly get awards Oscar films you know horror films are rarely looked at for awards this feels like something that transcends it so to go two hour and 45 minutes it makes sense to me for them to do that because they because Muschietti probably sees this thing as a legitimate piece of art that could achieve awards could receive consideration down the road so why not we saw that with the end game we saw that uh, with once upon a time in Hollywood these are the kinds of approaches with people are with when studios or filmmakers want to get attention or see their work as something more than just the standard fare in the genre so that's my point of that's my point of view. I don't necessarily <laughs> read it as as this runtime signifies that they think they have an Oscar contender on their hand, but I will I will echo something you just said yeah. because I do think that part of the first it movie's success comes from the fact that it is, yes, a very successful horror movie, but it's also a really moving coming of age yes. story. There are so many more things that I think brings that first it movie as close to four quadrant as possible mm-hmm. where there is really something for everybody, despite how you feel about certain elements of the genre that you might have seen done before that aren't really for you. That movie is working on so many different yeah. levels, and I've got a lot of faith they're going to keep that with It Chapter 2. Yeah, I'm so I'm a little torn because I love the first It film or, you know, the first one in this installment. And uh, that film functioned very well as a sort of funhouse roller coaster horror movie that was built on a you know peaks and valleys over a very sort of like precise mm. timing, and uh, this kind of runtime, 165 minutes, says I'm making a very different movie with I you would think very different scares because you can't structure a roller coaster for almost three hours. People will want to pass out. You know, it's mm. way too long. That's interesting. It's it's. We saw the footage at, you know, Comic-Con. It had a different look to it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more vibrant. It has a different feel because of the adult actors. And yet we know it's also flashing back to more of mm. the kids. So yeah. I'm very curious how that time is going to reflect in the tone of the film and the way the scares are approached, how much we're going to get of what we liked in the first one versus something a little different. It's a very, very long horror movie. Like yeah. That's really long just for comparison. Midsummer, which just came out, was long. That was 147 yeah. minutes. And Suspiria wasn't even as long. That was 153. So this is, this is a big-ass movie. Like, <laughs> that's a lot to process. That's why you say it's big for a horror movie. And I'm like, well, because it's not just a horror movie. It's more than just a horror movie. I think it's, tra- as I said, transcending the genre. So I like this idea, actually. Yeah. It excites me, actually, because I think I agree with, I, you know, from the footage and everything you just said, you're right. The roller coaster thing couldn't last for 245 minutes. Look at Endgame. Endgame starts real reflective, mm-hmm. real contemplative, and that may be a majority of this movie, and then the horror slides in where it's supposed to slide in, and it goes into, it's, and once again, it touches on this idea, which you said, Perry, the coming of age, now these adults coming back and facing past sins that they may have to uh, atone for or confront and get past 
that's going to be fun to see more of an introspective approach to horror. And I love that. Yeah. I'm, yeah, not I'm not opposed to it at yeah. all. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, it's interesting. I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe opposed is the wrong word. I have a lot of faith that if this is the decision they come to, and let's not forget, this is a comment he made in an interview. They still have some time before the movie comes out. For all we know, it will be trimmed. This isn't a locked official Mm. runtime by any means. It's something that was brought up in an interview. But if this winds up being his choice... I believe in him as a filmmaker to go into it with the hope that he is going to justify every single (laughs) second that my butt is in that seat. But I mean, when I think about the book, because you bring up how long the book is, I'm excited to get the kids material and the adult material weaving back and forth. I'm also excited to see some of the little side stories be incorporated into this. When I first heard that they were going to include the Adrian Mellon stuff, yes, give me that. And if that's the kind of stuff we're going to get with this beefed up runtime, it sounds like it's going to serve the movie for the better. Yeah, I hope so. And he's said, when I talked to him at Comic-Con, he mentioned this, he mentioned this at the, you know, the footage screening, this seems to be really important to the director Andy Muschietti Mm -hmm. that this is a film about repressed trauma and unrepressing it. That's awesome. And that's a great theme to hook a meaty film Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. that that can earn an almost three hour runtime, you know, and I'm really excited for that. Maybe most of all because you have actors like Jessica Chastain and Bill Hader doing it and they're phenomenal. Is is this and this could be kind of a smaller, minor trend where we're starting to be okay with these longer films coming out more consistently and being in the theater for them, you know. And you know, a lot of people push back in the days past. Executives, oh, you got to cut it down to two hours. People aren't going to consume it, Mm -hmm. you know. Is this with Endgame, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, with possibly it Chapter Two? Are we starting to see the public open up the doors a little bit to a three-hour movie? Why? Well, they're binging now at home anyway for hours on Mm -hmm. end shows. Maybe. That's like they're being trained more and more to be okay to sit in a theater for three hours and consume something that takes them on a ride. I wonder. It's an interesting interesting point. I will counter that with I'm not opposed to three hour movies or whatever. Mm. Uh, Suspiria is one of my favorite movies of all time. There you go, yeah. But I also have a huge amount of respect for a tight film like the 86 minute crawl, which is brilliant. And and I would love to see more of those as well Mm -hmm. if we're getting more of the longer ones. I think. That uh, for a few years, there's been this sort of glut of like two hour, 20 minute films oh, right, that right, could right. shed a few minutes. And so I'd love to see films commit one direction or another to either a really tight film or something that needs that space. Give know? me the best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to a couple of live chat questions. And I have a good transition because, of course, you brought up Suspiria because oh, yeah. I know how much you love Suspiria. We've got a question from Burt Mills in the live chat who's asking, would you rather see a new adaptation of Lord of the Flies or an American version of Battle Royale. This is being brought up because, of course, Luca Guadagnino is possibly directing as his next film an adaptation of Lord of the Flies. So where do you stand on this question and Guadagnino doing Lord of the Flies? I'll follow Guadagnino anywhere. He's a genius. Uh, He made my favorite (laughs) film of the year two years in a row. I'm obsessed with him. And I I think Lord of the Flies is an infinite story. You can tell that story in endless, as as every storyteller and every medium has been doing since that book came out. You Mm. can repurpose it to comic books, to other books, to series. You know, there was just the society on Netflix, which is Lord of the Flies. Mm. That can be anything. So I am very excited to see his take on the material. I probably wouldn't see a Lord of the Flies movie. I'm good. I read it. I'm good. I get it. But an American Battle Royale scares me 
Because way back when, I used to work for Charles Seegers as a temp, way back when, in the early 2000s. And he had me go on this mission to find these Japanese horror films or these Japanese harsh films because he wanted to convert the business when Ring was happening. And I presented Battle Royale to him because I'd, I'd gotten a, a tape from Japan of it and watched it. And I said, this one. And he's like, they'll never make it. They'll never make it. It's too brutal. So if you're going to do an American version of Battle which excites me, go all the way. No, don't cut it. Don't make it safe for American audiences. Go all the effing way or don't bother. So it would excite me if it's going all the way. And Luca may be the person, if you'd switch him over, to do that. who could? I'm just saying. Who could? Yeah. If, if Luca was involved, I would watch it. I don't necessarily know. I, I hate this phrase, but like in my life, I don't know if I need an American version of Battle mm. Royale. I have Battle Royale. We've seen Hunger Games, even something like yeah. Belco Experiment has has a tinge of Battle Royale it to it. I just, I was telling you, Haley, I just listened to the audiobook for The Long Walk. So right. I feel like that kind of storytelling like I'm up to my eyeballs in that kind of storytelling right now. <laughs> Let that other movie, which is a great movie, just exist on its own. Mm. I'm always good with a remake as long as it's well done. Yeah. Like if yeah. you bring on someone like Luca, sure, then I'm excited about it. But that yeah. usually isn't the way they go. I I would. Mm. I, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. I cannot rave enough about Battle Royale. Yep. And so I I feel a slight bit more precious about it than mm -hmm. I tend to about mm -hmm. remakes. But at the same time, the idea of a really pioneering filmmaker doing something new with it, that is exciting. Yeah. It's a very good point because even last week when I was semi-skimming the news feeds, I thought I couldn't want another interpretation of the I Know What You Did Last uh, <laughs> Summer story <laughs> any less. And then all of a sudden yeah. I read the headline that James Wan was involved. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> That's another one of those ones that I think is somewhat infinite, though, because it's just an urban legend, right? You tis, can you can remake that in a million ways. But did you see the most recent one? Did I? <laughs> you might be burnt out after you've seen that one, or at least I was. Uh, high hopes for James Wan with that franchise, though. All right, guys, that is a wrap on this Monday edition of Collider Movie Talk. As always, I must thank Roka and Haley thank you. for being here at the table with me. Adam in the booth, thank you for your hard work. As to you, Dorian, right there. Happy birthday. Celebrate. Happy birthday. It's important. All right, guys, we are done for the day. Thank you so much for watching this episode. Please don't forget to like and share it and then tune back in tomorrow, 3 p.m. PT live for a brand new episode. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Tell your Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's, that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs>
Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast, Podcast One, Spotify.